Well, tonight we want to once again take an opportunity to extend what we spoke this morning to our uh, expression of it, to our putting it into action and uh, draw from it some initiatives maybe that we need to look at more aggressively in our church to maintain that kind of love we talked about this morning. Uh, it is something that needs to be worked on. And as soon as we just take it for granted that we are that or we have this is generally when you start to wander off from it and regress from it. And so we don't want that to happen. I want to very quickly, in about 20 minutes, do a little overview just to reinforce this morning's message a bit out of the book of Acts. Um we can easily say, well, First John is about the individual's Christian life, and uh, you would have a pretty good argument there. I want to really look at the corporate aspect of showing uh, biblical or God's love to one another, to the brethren, uh, in a plural fashion, that we only, not only have responsibility to do it individually, but as a people of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin right with the birth of the church there, and we're going to press it on and uh, pretty deep into the book of Acts. Uh, and then we're going to reference some things out of the epistles that tell us that this was something that was ongoing uh, and an important facet of church life. And so we often look at the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we focus a lot on that and we focus on the evangelism facet of the early church and sometimes we just uh, take it with a grain of salt, some of the other things that were going on there. And so we want to pick up with those and emphasize them tonight to get us to understand that with believing the gospel, with receiving the love of Christ, came um, supernaturally with the Holy Spirit, came this concept um, of we have to take care of each other. It's just natural. It's not natural because it's not the natural man, but it is normal for the believing community to have that uh, desire once the Holy Spirit has taken hold of us, once we have received the love of God. And so let's just pick up on um, verse chapter 2, verse 40. It says, and they can, well, that's 41. Uh, then those who gladly received his word were baptized in that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, not just the church, but everybody. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so in the early church, one of the primary manifestations that Luke wants to get to very quickly, not only is their study of God's word and the, and the exercise of the ordinances and of of the activity of prayer and things along that line, but very quickly, I mean, right there with the initiation of the church comes, we're going to take care of one another. We're going to have all things in common. Uh, 
there's nothing of mine that you can't call upon if you need it, and there's nothing of yours that I can't call upon if I need it, that we have this commonality. And you might say, well, this sounds like communism, and it, and it is a form of communalism. Um, again, communism doesn't work because the love of God isn't the driving force. It cannot be forced upon any people. Um, but this kind of communal uh, attitude uh, is derived from the love of God. It says, he sacrificed everything for me. I am willing to sacrifice everything for you. Because I have been a recipient of so great a love, I can certainly share a great love. And so they shared these things one with another. And so right away, immediately, the testimony of the church, the public part of their testimony, was this facet, that they took care of each other. Um, fear fell upon all the church, and when the fear of God comes, and we recognize that he has done amazing things for us, then this should be the hallmark of what we're doing. And so we are together, we have all things in common, no, everyone who has need gets that need met. We are in one accord. Um, we have gladness, simplicity of heart. We limit ourselves. And all the people had favor for them. They approved of what they were doing. And the world approves of that. And when we take care of our own, when we share, when we um, show this kind of sacrificial love for those, whether we like them or not, uh, whether we are appealing to them or they are appealing to us or not, uh, the world approves of that. They can't help it. They can't find fault with that. Well, you're taking care of your orphans, your widows, your poor, your um, displaced peoples. Whatever it is, you take care of them, and that's uh, noteworthy, and it is going to bring you into favor with the world looking at it and saying, well, you're doing it right. And perhaps it's one of the condemnations on the church that we feel today is that, well, where are the churches? Where are they? And over the last 70 years or so, we have, you know, not even that long, really, um, since LBJ, in this country we have seen the government just usurp those roles, and we've seen them try to take it on, and they've done a horrible job at them, but we also have to ask, why do they need to do that? Well, because the churches weren't doing such a great job at doing it. They had largely abandoned that facet of ministry to too large of an extent. But we find that one of the evidences that a church has really uh, filled the Spirit and the evidences of the, of the power of the gospel being there is this attitude that we're going to take care of the needs represented among us with all the resources that are at our disposal. As much as it is within us to be able to meet those needs, we will meet those needs. Uh, let's uh, just press on a little bit. Let's go jump forward, and uh, this isn't too hard to go through. And so we go to chapter 4, a couple chapters later, uh, and it again comes forward. The disciples have encountered some opposition, the, uh, mostly directed at the leadership. and uh, But they keep praying, they keep uh, doing some great things and uh, have signs and wonders. And let's go to verse 32 of chapter 4. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. 
nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then, of course, it was tried to be replicated in chapter 5 by Ananias and Sapphira, who wanted the same notoriety, um, but didn't want to make the same sacrifice and lied over it. And uh, that's a disaster. And again, we're going to talk about this has to be the genuine thing. And the motives of Ananias and Sapphira were suspect. They were exposed as being in error. They wanted the applause of men, uh, so they wanted to have this public presentation of this sale price of their land, which actually wasn't the sale price of the land because they kept back some of it. They could have just brought and says, here's half the money, here's whatever percentage of the money was. They could have declared, but they wanted the, the applause of men. And so their motives were not driven by the love of God. And that's brought them to sin, to lie. So, the others, though, are motivated by the love of God that's going to be shown abroad in our hearts. And so the concept in our area, mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. My stuff's your stuff. If you have need of it, it's available. And uh, we share that one with another so that nobody has need. And that is, again, a testimony of the work of God. And it's no mistaking that in this context, between 32 and uh, verse 34 and following is with great power there was a witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. Um, that is couched within two passages that talk about this demonstrable love they had for one another that drew from their physical resources. And so they shared or had these things in common and uh, didn't claim it as their own. Now, please note that this was voluntary, and that is something that comes out very strongly in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The money's in your hands. You do with it as you please. We do not demand this of anybody. And again, we cannot force the love of God into people's lives, nor can we extract it from them through any false measure. We cannot use guilt. We cannot use uh, affections. We cannot use those kinds of argumentations. They must be of their heart to give what they want to give. We're going to see that come out a little bit later on as well. And so again, here it is, another burst that uh, yes, there was persecution that, that uh, bumped it along uh, and increased it, but also we find that everyone who believes there's a unity of heart, of soul, and of stuff. <laughs> they shared their stuff. If what they needed, if anyone had need, we took care of it. Let's uh, jump forward a little bit farther. Chapter 6, two more chapters. And again, um, a problem coming up in the church, and that is how do we distribute all this wealth? We want to make sure that everyone with genuine needs gets their needs met. And they are taking care of the widows. The church had increased by many thousands of people, well over ten or 15,000 by this time in the Jerusalem church. So you're talking about a lot of people. 
And uh, so now we need to get this a little more organized. And uh, there was a complaint that some of the widows weren't being taken care of properly. And you don't ignore that kind of complaint. You address it immediately. Because remember, this is what the world is watching you. You had favor in from them because they saw you doing these humanitarian and, and, and considerate things, treating each other's family. That was attractive to them. It was favorable to them. Um, and it also drew many to hear your message of the gospel. Um, well, so now when there is this complaint, they're also watching very carefully, aren't they? And so it's important the church address it immediately. And the Apostles didn't discount the complaint. They says, why are you complaining? Why aren't you happy you got anything? No, they addressed it very directly and said, that might be the case. And so let's get us some guys together. Let's get this thing organized so that it is sure to be taken care of properly. And so, yes, while the giving should be very spontaneous, it should be very organic, it should just happen because the love of God is is bursting through our life individually and, as, and then as a church. Um, that is how those kinds of resources should be given, and by not, by, not by compulsion or uh, any, any method of extraction. I always get bothered by emails and mails I get from people of how to get more money out of your people, you know, and all these fundraising for the church, how to build... And I remember churches that use faith promise missions uh, programs so that you can get more funds for the church for missions. And, and I, we were involved in lots of faith promise conferences as missionaries. Um, and it always kind of bothered me. If the church is capable of giving that, you shouldn't need a program to extract it. But what you should need is an organization to manage it. It should be coming very. It should be coming in very spontaneously, because it is not generated by any other thing than the love of God. But once it's now gathered among the people, uh, we need to make sure that it is distributed properly. That we actually are uh, putting it to the best use possible. That we are careful in it. That we are um, even-handed in it that we recognize where the greatest needs are, and we meet those needs. And so um, while the, the, we have actually seen too much of the reverse, we want to really organize the giving so we can know exactly what's coming in the plate, and pastors are all watching that end, and there isn't often enough accountability at the other end. I've been to some of those, and I've heard of some of those, you know, I don't know how to describe them. Uh, I used to call them little emperors, little empire churches where the pastor is, is, you know, has the checkbook and everything and he basically rules the roost. Um, and there's a very little accountability at the other end of the expenditure end. But yet there's all kinds of discussion and, and, and concern and involvement to get more funds in. The funding in part should happen very spontaneously by the love of God. It should be a matter of personal heart condition, and it should not be contrived at all. On the other hand, the expenditure should be very well managed, not to keep it from happening, but to make sure it happens properly and fully and completely. And that should be transparent. And that's what the whole thing with the deacons was here in chapter 6, verse 1 uh, and following. 
And so verse 3, let's pick up verse 3. It says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose these seven guys. They're listed there. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles when they, laid, when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And notice what happens right away. Again, we have emphasized loving one another, taking care of each other's needs. Verse 7, then the word of God spread. What does that mean? Is that internal or external? That's external. The world is watching. The world is watching. Do you take care of material needs among yourselves? Do you take care of your own? Do you provide what they need provided for? And you don't think the Haitians down there are watching what goes on in the churches and orphanages down there? You don't think their neighbors are watching? Um, one of the things that's kind of interesting that uh, Pastor Predestin said, on one of my first visits down there, because we were discussing the Pentecostal movement, and he says, boy, they have a lot of money, though. You know, they have a lot of money. They put up churches really fast, and they have a lot of money, and the Baptists all seem to be poor. I said, Baptists aren't poor, they're just stingy. And he looked at me, and he's like, really? Is that the problem? I said, yes, that's the problem. Are you offended by that? You shouldn't be. Well, you should be offended that Baptists are stingy as a rule. Um, as a missionary, as I, it was hard to get funds together. It, it takes years for missionaries to get enough funds to go to the mission field in this rich country. You know how long it takes for uh, the people in South Korea to get funds together to send out one of their own to Burma? One meeting. As soon as they're commissioned, fully funded. Why is it the Baptists have to take 18 months, two years of traveling around the country to multiple, multiple churches to raise funds? Well, that's where your heart's at. That's what's going on. That's the problem, isn't it? And so I explained that to him. And then when I went back on one, the last visit I was there, when I was there for three weeks, he was, I was like, well, I'm sorry this has taken us so long to get back out here to build on this foundation. He says, oh, no, no, Pastor, this is really fast. Everybody's going to be watching. Everybody's going to say, how did you get that church built so fast? And so everyone's watching. Who's taking care of whom? What's the heart? What's the spirit? You know, and the world measures your heart by your wallet. I'm sorry that that's true, but it's the fact of life. That's what they look at. And so the word of God spread. You know, they addressed this, and they didn't discount it. They didn't just, they, they took care of it. They wanted to be transparent. They wanted to resolve it. They wanted to make sure that there was this care for everyone evenly and properly, and the word of God spread as a result. Now, let's go on a little bit further on. Let's press, oh, let's jump forward to... Chapter 12, I think. No, I want to jump back to chapter 10, sorry. I want to go to chapter 10 first. I want you to see something else. 
um, that uh, is important here. Chapter 10, a guy named Cornelius we're being introduced to. And I want you to notice what mattered to God. Two things are described about Cornelius. One is that he feared God, and the other one is that he prayed and gave alms. So he had a heart of, he wanted to know the one true God. The idea that he was a devout man is a description of someone who was worshiping the God of Israel without converting to Judaism. That's his condition. So he was outside the synagogue. He would have been one of those sitting outside the synagogue listening to the word of God, but couldn't be allowed in because he wasn't circumcised, hadn't fully proselytized over to Judaism. And so he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, verse 2 of chapter 10, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, there it is. That's what he did to show his the working of God in his life. And I want you to see how God responded in verse 5. And when, he, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it? Because God, had, an angel had come and uh, called Cornelius. So he said to him, this is what the angel said to him in the last half of verse 4. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God was keeping account. That giving generously to the people mattered to God. It was right up there with his prayer life, and it was the one-two punch of, this is a man who really wanted to know the one true and living God. And he wanted to worship him genuinely. And anyone like that, God has made effort to reveal himself to them. And it's fascinating because um, when you get later on, verse 31 of the same chapter, when Cornelius is sharing this testimony, he again says the same thing. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. And now he tells him what to do. And he says, so I did that. And uh, this is, again, that evidence that this is something God honors. And we don't emphasize it enough. We emphasize, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Well, read your Bible, pray every day, and give from your heart. It needs to be incorporated in that song somehow. Because that is really the powerful evidence of an active Christian life and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now let's go over to chapter 12. It's like all the even chapters. You notice that? 2, 4, 6, 10, 12. <laughs> Obviously the chapters weren't there when the book was written, but we have it here. Now I want you to uh, see something, and it's really the end of chapter 12 and really chapter 13 we want to get into. No, I don't think I want to do that. I want to do chapter 11 first. Sorry. We're going to go to chapter 11. Um, the Christian, Christianity spread up to Antioch in chapter 11. At the end of chapter 11, um, Barnabas went to find Saul, now called Paul, brought him to Antioch. They taught the churches there. And it says a great number of people um, were in the church there, and the disciples were first called Christians in the church of Antioch. That's verse 26. So let's go to verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Uh, which we know was true. His, we, we have other records of that from the Roman government. 
Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brother dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. As soon as they heard of a need, no hesitation, it says they determined that they would help uh, according to what they were able to do. Whatever they could do, they would do. And they were quite a few people, probably not as big as the church in Jerusalem, but they're a pretty good-sized church, and we're saying, we'll just do whatever we can according to our ability. You give what you want, what you can, and we'll send it down there, and we're going to send it down there by two of our most trusted Bible teachers, Barnabas and Paul, and we're going to send it down there and deliver it into their hands, and so you can see that there is a careful there's a careful management of how it's going to be distributed. We're going to be carefully delivered. And that's going to be a pattern that Paul has all through his ministry. I don't carry the money. Um, uh, you send some guys from your church. We, we were emissaries from our church and carried the money. But you need seminary emissaries from your church to carry the money instead of just trusting it to the itinerant guy. Well, at this point, Paul and Barnabas aren't the itinerant men. They are the responsible men of the, this is their home church. So they're going to be the agents of delivery. And so immediately they're going to meet that need. Again, this is the church where the term Christian was brought to bear, not by the believers that were there, but by the world. What were they doing? They were watching them. So not only are they going to take care of locally their own, they're going to take care of those, if they have a known need, they're going to reach out beyond their own church and to look at the universal church. They're going to go down to Jerusalem. If they need, Judea needs help, we can send them some stuff according to our ability. And when a church is like that, it doesn't just end at their stuff. I want you to know that. And that brings us to the end of chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, It says, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, chapter 13, verse 1, In the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, these five men. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they, the church, sent them, Barnabas and Saul, away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and it goes on to talk about their journey. You see, the church, as an expression of their love, of God's love in them, wanted to meet that physical need in Judea. And so they gave as they were able, sent it by their, two of their guys, two of their top five, Send it down there. The top five respond, report back. And uh, now God says, well, you've passed that test. You're willing to give your stuff now. Are you willing to give yourself? You've got five great teachers in your church. Five prophets and teachers. Church of Anak had five men. They had five pastors. God says, I want two of the five. Well, that's like 40%. <laughs> that's not 10%, that's 40%. He wants two-fifths of your guys. 
He says, I want them to be sent out. The church says, okay. Why? Because they understood the love of God that you give your best to God. These are their two best. That's why they sent them down to Jerusalem, to Judea, with the, with the gift. This is their two best. And God says, I want those two. And you're going to send them out. And, and they said, okay, we'll send them. We'll lay hands on them and send them away. Boom. No questions asked. No hesitation. We're going to send them. Is it going to hurt the church? No, it can't hurt the church. Because the church is expressing the love of God, it can only benefit the church. And that was something I've seen in, in several times over my lifetime, my ministry, especially when I was younger, is encountering churches. They're willing to send money, but don't you take our people. We need them. And parents saying, well, I'll give to missions, I'll pray for missions, but God better not want my kid to become a missionary. I mean, that was really said to me by a parent of a teenager. And so, um, the genuine article isn't just uh, measured by financial or material gifts. Um, when we expend ourselves, then the love of God is more profoundly understood. That it's not just my material possessions that I want to share, but it is me, myself, I can share. That they have access, that they have uh, the, I hate to use the word right, but they have the um, granted right to come and ask things of me, of my time, of my energy, of my skills, um, of our church. They have the right to come and say, we need some people. And for us to be responsive, okay, we'll do what we can. You know, we try to do that with Tishomingo, where you try to be generous with not only what monies we could invest there, but with our people. You, I get a call from a builder, Larry. <laughs> uh, I need a crew. You have anybody? I was like, well, we could put together something. And we took three, ended up taking, what, three, four trips up there total to help build that facility. And there wasn't hardly any hesitation, and there shouldn't be. When God asks of us, we need to be willing not only to give of our stuff, but of ourselves. And so it was a natural thing that this church initiates what we know of as uh, sending out missionaries. Now, yes, there was Philip and others that were already, well, uh, in evangelism, but in terms of an organized methodology to systematically get the gospel out, this is really the first introduction to that. And then you guys read Philippians this morning, right? What was the last chapter of Philippians all about in Sunday school, if you were there? Thank you, not the first half, but the last half of the last chapter. It's all about you gave gifts to me, and you sent it by Epaphroditus. You sent a guy and gifts. And these things are to be credited to your account. And so the church of Philippi, this is something God, that Paul taught consistently that is, again, the natural result of the love of God. I've gone longer than 20 minutes. That's a little overview from the book of Acts. I just want you to see it on a corporate level in practice. This is what it looks like. Um, we're going to take care of our own by sharing. Mi casa su casa. 
that's our philosophy, that uh, this isn't mine, yours, his, hers. Uh, it always bothers me when I see couples, young couples especially, but even older ones when it's all, these, this is my money and this is her money, and, and I'm like, oh, that's bad. Um, and it's the same thing in the church. When it's his, hers, theirs, ours, it's trouble. Um, we share that, and we have that in common. So we take care of that. We take care of the physical needs that we see that we are alerted to. Um, I still haven't really heard anything about other than what's in the news about what's going on in Peru. I, I haven't gotten an email from the Lossings. I haven't gotten any word from Trujillo, from, uh, from any of the churches, Insomnia and Proto that we visited. I don't know what happened with all the flooding in that area. I know it was in northern Peru, but I haven't heard. And, and we may need to be responsive. And, and uh, when we get these calls, um, we try to be responsive. So we take care of God's people as we hear of their need. And then we should be willing to send our people when God calls them. And that's uh, that measure of, well, if God wants you, you get busy. And uh, if we are going to miss out, we'll trust the Lord to fill that vacancy. And if he takes some of our best and brightest to go do his work elsewhere, we are happy to send them. Because we have the love of God that's willing to sacrifice. Will we miss them? Of course. Will we miss their ministry? Of course. But there are bigger things out there. And so this is how love of God is expressed. So, three levels that I see. And by the way, the sending out missionaries is for the world. So we have our own local assembly. We take care of each other. When we hear of great need in other assemblies, we respond to it. And when we know the world needs our people, we'll send them out and get the job done with the gospel. Now, how does that work? Do we have initiatives to make that happen, to organize it in our church? And of course, we have done a number of those things, and our response to Haiti, I think, is the earthquake and the hurricane and the things like that that we have heard, that when we hear, we respond. And maybe that's why Pastor Preston keeps calling me. <laughs> he knows I respond. He just has to communicate his need to us. Um, and even then, he doesn't really do that. Because after the hurricane, I was like, we were talking about this, and do you have a water problem? And he's like, yeah. But he never told us that. I had to get it out of him. And um, because I heard in the news that there was a lot of issues with fresh water. Just getting fresh water was a problem there in Haiti after the hurricane. And so part of taking care of people is you have to know their needs, don't you? That means you have to be intimate enough with each other to know what each other's needs are. So you can say, how can I meet that need? How can we help? Uh, instead of just, oh, well, good luck with that. We'll pray for you. Uh, well, put something behind your prayer. Put some alms behind your prayers, like Cornelius did. Because they matter to God. We are actually considering, I've actually talked to some of the deacons, the deacons about, some of, the, the two deacons about some 
things that we need to look at initiating in terms of caring for each other. Um, we've got a couple people that are going to be scrambling for housing, and we want to take an active part in that. Uh, it, it's, and I don't know if you know that, but Habitat for Humanity was really born out of that, from the Christian community was where it was born out of, um, and not necessarily the conservative theological group we would want to associate with. And yes, some of the concepts I put forward are pretty liberal. Because frankly, a lot of conservatives are stingy. Um, when there's a genuine need, we need to say, how can we take action to help? And uh, so we're going to be doing some weird things here coming up. Just like we talked about with mercy, um, there's you know, how are we extending mercy to people and how are we making that happen? Uh, it requires us to confront. It requires us to be ready to uh, take the risk of that. Um, and the same, similarly, when we care for one another, that means we've got to extend ourselves. In our modern world, it's more than just food and clothing. Um, it's about getting a job, getting transportation, housing. Um, those are pretty fundamental needs that we want to address among ourselves. And I think that can only be a powerful testimony and a benefit when we take that on as a body, that we're gonna take that on. And so I think we've been praying for the Gonzales' house hunting, and we have talked to them about it, and it's like, well, why don't we just build them a house? Because we cannot find a house that's going to be big enough for their family as it's growing that they can afford. But do we have the capacity, since we have four lots over here, to build a house? Why not? Not extravagant like the Maycumbers, but <laughs> simple. But sufficient you know we need to and i've seen you guys exercise some of this and i don't want to force it but i want to be organized so that we can if we have ability that we address that and i've seen you guys give away your cars when you get new cars i've seen that happen on several occasions in our church where they're not going to give me much money when i trade it in so here take this and that's why there's a lot of charities out there that say donate your car to us Okay, well, what are they doing with that? Well, mostly they're auctioning them off, but for us, we just put it to use. And so we want to have the, the attitude that that is part of the mission of the church. Um, we're pretty readily, when I get calls, we're pretty readily set up with our deacons fund to but frankly, you don't tap it hardly at all. And that's why um, Mr. Roberts really initiated that, well, we can't just keep building this Deacon's Fund. Let's send it to Haiti. If we don't have anything here locally, we need it for. Um, and so we want to have that kind of initiative, that we are aggressively looking for ways to meet each other's needs and not just waiting for some desperate condition to occur. When we hear of desperate situations elsewhere, we should be ready to respond, and you guys have demonstrated that already. Um, and so we're sensitive to that, and I hope you realize that I'm, I'm frequently looking 
for those and trying to be sensitive, especially the ones we already are supporting. So when Pastor Phillips' roof blew off his church, we responded. And we need to be ready to do that. Any other ideas you have? Any other gaps that we're not paying attention to? In meeting each other's needs, meeting the larger church community's needs, and then being willing even to send our people to meet the world's needs for a Savior.